Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Abjammer here, and I'm your host. And listen, I know I told you last week that we'd be taking a break for the summer, and technically we are. What we're going to do is run a teaching series that I've done called the Unshaken series. If you are new here, welcome. Uh, we do a lot of different things on the podcast. We just finished a series where I co-hosted with my sister and operations manager of our ministry. And uh, by and large, we do a lot of Dear Lena series, which will be coming in the fall, where you send me questions about faith, life, and culture, and everything in between. Bottom line, we look to provide ways to share biblical truth for everyday life. In a post-Christian culture, we've never needed it like now. And so this summer, really, we're looking to encourage you. The Unshaken series is one of the most encouraging series I've taught. It is a, a topical series through the Bible, starting with Genesis and looking at men and women whose faith remained unshaken despite great trials and oppositions. We're going to start today in Genesis chapter 3. This is about a 30, 35-minute teaching. I really believe that God is going to meet you there if you're uh, trying to figure out how to make it through the summer. If you need a sabbatical this summer, then we'll see you again in the fall. But if you just are looking for ways to connect with God and His Word, then I know you're going to find it here. Today's teaching is called Unshaken, uh, learning how to stand strong when we lose sight of all that we have. It happens to me. I know it might happen to you. And so go ahead, listen up. And I pray that God's going to use this teaching to bless and encourage you. So we're going to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, and we're covering today this episode I've called, Lesson 1 is in Genesis 3, Unshaken, When I Lose Sight of All I Have. And man, we are, this, this book, this Bible, I love this book so much. You guys know that I practice medicine in my real life, but God called me to teach the Bible about 20 some years ago. And I just love the word of God. And I just was praying coming into this hour. My sister Diana's here and, and, and just praying out loud and reminded of how much I love God's word. And as I get into the series, you're going to see why. It is so relevant to what we're living through right now. And, uh, and throughout scripture, we're going to follow this arc of this, this theme of faith. It all boils down to faith. And if we've ever needed faith in our life, it is now. And I know some of you need it a lot. I know because I do. And I know that, that everybody who's tuned in recognizes that, that we're living in a weird era. And so uh, we need faith like never before. And so every week we're going to look at different angles of life, emotions that we feel where like, here's where we need to be unshaken. And you're going to connect more some weeks than others. But today I believe we'll set the stage sort of as to what wires us as humans. The, it's really a lesson on humanity, and I believe with all my heart that you're going to see that so clearly. And so Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve, and it is the beginning of the story when everything was perfect, and Adam and Eve had everything, and then disaster struck. In fact, we're going to look at crisis from a different angle, um, but let me read you a few verses, and I, I've decided to pick up from Genesis chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis 1 is where God creates the world. Genesis 2, he makes man and sort of kind of zooms in on what's happening and gives man the job of, of basically he introduces Adam to Eve and he tells them to, to live, basically. And they've got everything they need. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 8, and I'm going to sort of get to chapter 3 quickly, but it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. That's a good tree. And then it says, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Da -da -da -da. All right, this is going somewhere. So then it tells us about the location. Let's move down to verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work, many people talk about work. 
being a pain in the neck. It's really not. It's a blessing. And even before the fall of man, God gave us work and, and food and life and fruit and gardens. Those of you who love the garden are like, amen. God wants us to garden, right? From Eden, when things were good, it was their job to till the land and eat the fruit. And, and so the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, listen to this, because this sets the stage to where we're going. He said to the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, we, God has created this perfect world. He's put in these two perfect people, Adam and Eve, and he's given them to one another. He saw Adam. He says it wasn't good. In fact, the verses after is where it describes sort of this love story between Adam and Eve. And he gives them everything, and it's all good but intentionally, God puts this tree of the knowledge of good and evil right next to the tree of life. And he says, you can do everything except this tree. And, and many, you might wonder, why? Why did God do that? And, and that's not something I'm going to get into too much today. But, but it is a question worth thinking about. And I think if nothing else, God gives us a choice as to what and who we want to worship. And so even the concept of putting a tree, he says, okay, there's one thing I don't want you to do sets up this relational trust that God is building. If you trust God, if you trust that he is good, if you trust that he is enough, then you take what he asks you to do with that spirit in mind. And you go, okay, all right, I'm good with that. I've got everything else in my life taken care of. And if God said it, uh, the old saying in the 80s, that I believe it and that settles it. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so Adam and Eve start off on that path. And then we get to chapter three. And if you've read it, then you have some context. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. I'm reading now in Genesis chapter three. And this is, now we're leaning into unshaken when I lose sight of all I have. And so I, I've set the stage to show you Adam and Eve had everything. And I didn't get into the place where they meet each other, but it is clear that this wasn't a situation where Adam was like, ah, Eve, I don't know, like God, she's okay, but you know, her personality is great, but she's not that cute. That was not the case. It was like, Perfect man, perfect woman, like, I love at first sight, like, I can't believe it. He calls her, it's just like an awesome, awesome time in their life, all right? And then the serpent was more crafty. Now we pick up the reading in chapter three. So the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but... God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of her to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Um, before we get to the next part, I'm going to read a few verses in a minute. Let me, let me kind of zone in on this big idea. There's three big ideas today, about, and our theme is unshaken when I lose sight of all I have. Number one is this. Our biggest crisis in life is born out of reaching for what was never meant to satisfy us. All right. We think crisis is a nuclear disaster, an environmental disaster. Yesterday was Earth Day. Many people were talking about the beauty of the Earth and, and the dangers of the environment. We think that is a crisis. We think coronavirus is a crisis. We think racism is a crisis. We, 
think cancer is a crisis and they're all a form of crisis. But, but back in from that, the biggest crisis that you and I ever had in, in a world that was perfect with perfect people, a perfect garden, a perfect God, a perfect situation, the crisis that took place happened when Adam and Eve decided to reach for what was never meant to satisfy them. That is at the heart of what's happening here. This chapter is called The Fall of Man. This is where people went from having no sin in the earth to now sinning and it, sin became part of the human DNA. So that now you and I are born in sin because of that moment, that decision when Adam and Eve looked at the situation and they were told by the serpent, uh, maybe God is setting you up to fail. Maybe God isn't for your good. In fact, maybe that one thing that he tells you you can't have is the very thing that will satisfy you. So even a moment decides who's going to be the one who satisfies me, God or the thing that now has become the center of my attention. And, and, and by the way, every person who has given their life to Christ sort of understands this concept that that we are living, like the moment you gave your life to Christ, there came a point when you sort of recognized that and where you thought, okay, like I'm trying, like people before Christ, you go, man, I'm trying to satisfy myself with money, with sex, with love, with drugs. I mean, you name it, we go down these paths of just trying to be happy. And then one day we meet Jesus and, and it's like our eyes are opened and we're going to get to that moment here with Adam and Eve shortly and sort of what happens. But, 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 but what happens in Christianity is that you can understand that as salvation, and yet our life as a Christian can quickly take on this form of what I would call sort of Christian atheism, where you sort of have God up there who saved you and, and did everything for you, and you recognize that and you're grateful for it. But now, in my everyday world of money and finances and jobs and, and life and relationships and marriage and singleness and kids and stresses and, and you name it, it's like, God is out of the equation. And every day we wake up and think, man, and in fact, not just those things, but ministry and church and Bible study and those things that we think, if I just do enough of that, and so we pick one thing, you name it, that becomes our center of want and desire. And every day we wake up and we have to make a decision who will satisfy us. And our crisis in life is not a virus that invades humanity, but in the context of our day-to-day -day life, when we wake up, who will we choose to be satisfied by? We lose sight of what we have when we lose sight of God's love. And that's exactly what happens to Eve. And so here she is. She's got everything. God has given her above and beyond what she could ask or think. We can look back now and respect and see that and be like, I am man, let's talk about Ephesians 3.20 where God now, we read it and pray, God, give us more above and beyond what we could ask or think. Well, he had done that for Eve and Adam. He had given them everything. And the moment the serpent comes and the point of temptation there wasn't about a fruit, the heart of this temptation was, do you believe God? And there's a sense, do you believe God's word? But even more basic than that is, do you believe God loves you? And I really believe that if we could live with a daily certainty that God loves me, not the world. Yeah, he loves the world. We get that. There's a sense of impersonal thing to that. Like God loves everybody. Of course, that's his job. He's love. But, but that he loves you. If you could wake up believing that, I really believe temptation happens, sin happens, our fall happens, our biggest crisis happens when we choose to stop believing that. And Satan knows exactly what we need to stop believing that. And so for Eve, it was a simple conversation. We don't know how many times they had this conversation leading up to the point where she said, you know what, I'm not sure... God really loves me because if he loved me, he would allow me to eat of that tree. And in that moment, she lost sight of all that she did have. 
You may say, what does that have to do with us today? Well, everything. We're living in a day where our need is glaring. For some of you, you have a list of needs. I've gotten your emails. I, I know, I know, I live in the same world as you. And in our need, the temptation is to start so focusing on the thing that we need. Our businesses, our kids, our love lives, our finances, our churches, that we lose sight of God's love in the middle of that situation. And our crisis happens when we choose to stop believing that God loves me. And in the same breath, we lose sight of God's word. And so the serpent says to her, did God really say? You know, we believe this word is the inspired book, the a book that God breathed through the Holy Spirit through men who wrote it over thousands of years. It really tells the story of one man named Jesus who is the Son of God who came to save us from Genesis to Revelation. You can see in a minute. And, and in that context of this book, we get to know God. And so when we talk about God's word, there is a, there is a holiness, a reverence, an authority to this book that is different than the book that is sitting underneath my camera stand. I've got a couple of books there. David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me, and The Great Influenza. My goal is to read them before the shelter in place is over. And so, and so let's keep me accountable in that. But, but, but those books, they, they might impact me in the moment, but they don't change my life. But the, the word of God is, is spirit and life. It's like a two-edged sword. It changes us. This is why we make a big deal of it. And so, and, so, and so here in this moment, the serpent questions the very word of God, which is really who God is. Your word is who you are. If I tell you guys I'm be here at 7 o'clock live, you're going to expect me to be here at 7 o'clock live. Otherwise, my word doesn't hold and my character is, 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 if I don't show up, you'd be like, well, I don't believe anything Lena says. So there's a truth that goes on with, with how much integrity is with someone's word. We understand it humanly. And so the serpent goes to Eve with, do you believe that God loves you, really? But do you believe his word? Do you believe God's word to you? Do you believe, now the question to you, listener, do you believe God's promises? And uh, we lose sight of what we have when we lose sight of God's word. All of the things that he's promised, you know, you can look at his promises and look at your need. This is how it works out every day. And you either believe, Philippians 4.19, that God is going to provide for all your needs according to his riches and glory according in Christ Jesus. You can believe that you are never alone. He is with you, Hebrews 13. You can believe those promises or you can believe your need. Every day is a decision to either lose sight of all God has given you uh, because of that one thing that you want that you don't have. And, and now in that place, uh, your crisis happens when you reach for what was never meant to satisfy you. A relationship with another human being was never meant to satisfy you. Friendship was never meant to fully satisfy you. These are good things, but they're not the best thing. Money, stuff, success in this world, security in the bank, never meant to satisfy you. We lose sight of what we have when we focus on what we don't have. And uh, all those trees, look, I live in Chicago in a suburb. I've got like three kinds of trees in my yard. Literally, I'm like boring. And I look at these trees and I'm in awe at how much variety there is. Now, Eve is like in the best of the best place. Like of all the things she could have focused on, every, think about it, every, if you've ever been to anywhere lush and Mediterranean, I grew up in Lebanon, there are fields of fruits and then, and, and, and she has everything except that one thing. And I found this theme in life that we tend to focus on the one thing that we don't have. I see it, I'm single, many of you know that. And I see that in, in speaking to singles and ministering to singles, and they could have everything, a job, a family, friends, support, and yet that one thing they don't have becomes the focus of our lives. 
I see it in marriages. I see it in, 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 in your kids. You see other people's kids and all they're doing, but you don't see what is before your eyes. And uh, um, a convicting point, but our biggest crisis born out of reaching for what was never meant to satisfy us. Here's a second point. Our deepest shame grows out of our own attempt to manage our crisis. We wanna be unshaken. We wanna be unshaken and, and, and not lose sight of all that we have. And so first, uh, understand what satisfies you. You know, Start paying attention to that. But secondly, how, what are you doing when you do face the crisis? And so here's what Adam and Eve did. I stopped the reading in verse eight. I'm gonna pick up in verse seven. The eyes of both were opened. This is when they chose satisfaction outside of God. Their eyes were opened. They knew they were naked up until then. I mean, I've had a diet of like sweats and this black t-shirt. I wore it again so that y'all recognize me. I've changed into a colored t-shirt once and everybody went crazy. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that again. I'm going back to my black t-shirt. And so, uh, and so their, their outfit was nothing. Like it was like, they, they were like, this is was their version of sweats. And in that moment, their eyes were open and they were, this, this, is, this talks about knowing their naked shame. They were ashamed. And they sewed, so what did they do? How do we know they're ashamed? Well, they covered themselves. And it says it, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. This is managing your own crisis. You have a problem and you're trying to fix it. And, uh, and, and you say that what happened? Well, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So God says to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent and he goes and curses the serpent and he gives a, the consequences of sin to, I'm not going to read those verses, but the Lord God said to the serpent and then to the woman and then to the man, and then we'll pick up the reading in a minute. Here's the point. Our deepest shame grows out of our own attempt to manage our crisis. So how do we manage um, those crises that we face in life? Well, our instinct is to hide. When we try to solve our own problems, more often than not, we hide. We hide them. I have a great illustration of this this week. I, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's just a timely story. I had one of my nephews. I'm not going to tell you who. I, I'm sure you guys will figure it out. But he was over and he uh, lives two blocks away. So our social isolation has included their family because I see them every day. And so if they get sick, I get sick and vice versa. And so he was over at my house briefly and he um, called me over and said, Lena, uh, there are scratches on your chair. Well, I have this cute leather chair in my living room. And I looked and I thought, oh my goodness, there's like five scratches on the chair and they were really bad. And I thought, I don't sit roughly on chairs. Nobody comes to my house. I mean, I live alone. I don't have a cat. And so um, I was baffled. I thought, so I called the company. I thought I'm gonna call the company. So I called the company and I uh, got on the phone with the customer service rep and I told her the story. And I said, I've had this chair for a year and a half. I've never had a problem with it. And there's these scratches on the chair. She goes, well, somebody must have put them there. I said, no, I don't think so. Nobody comes to my house. It never occurred to me that somebody could have put them there. Go through this entire process. My little nephew's listening and, and I, I finish and we get to the point where she advises me how to fix it and I'm rubbing and scrubbing and she's telling me this is gonna be fine, just keep fixing it. And, and then I, I, she 
tells me she's going to charge me like she $29, $20. You can buy this leather cleanser. I said, okay, I think I can afford $20 to fix this chair. And so she was about to tell me how to buy it. And I said, oh, my wallet's in the car. Let me just run to the car and come back. I ran to the car, not even t 10 seconds. I come back in and uh, that little nephew says, uh, Lena, there are so many more scratches on the chair. Now look, and literally it's like, scratches all there's like instead of five scratches there's like 20 scratches and still i naively think how there's something magical going in this chair what happened and so the lady's on the phone with me and i like Bleh! i go man ma'am i gotta send you a new picture this chair is like disintegrating before my eyes and i sent her the picture she sees it and she like she's like something somebody's gotta have done it and i'm like somebody did it i go into the garage for 10 seconds never thinking that the person who did it was hiding in the very plain sight. It took me about 10 minutes of conversation with a woman, then she put me on hold, and in that moment I had this thought, she might be right. I mean, you don't go from no scratches to scratches. I looked, and, and I had this aha moment, and I, I said, let's just call him Pam. <laughs> I said, Pam, I said, did you? I mean, honest as can be, like not a blink, looked me straight in the eye. No, I did not touch the sofa. This went on, lady came back on, supervisors who came on, and it was clear at this point that there was somebody hiding behind a bush trying to manage the crisis. I went mad about the sofa at this point. I was perplexed that, that a brain could think that an adult would, and I almost missed it because I'm nowhere near like as all-knowing as God. But, but that somebody that age could think that he could hide in a garden under a tree the very thing that he had willfully done. And, and by the time I realized this is an obvious act of destruction, we'd moved now to what are we going to do? You know, the consequences very much like this chapter and... and uh, and then as I started preparing this lesson, I thought, isn't that just like us? We know what we've done. And out of shame or we don't know why. I mean, I asked the question, Pam, I'm going to keep calling Pam. Pam, what, what possessed you to do this? And, and I'm, I'm not a mom, I'm an aunt. And people tell you, you're not supposed to ask why. Like a six-year-old, I know why, you know. And it's like, I don't know. And by then the tears. And, and, and this is what's happening here in Genesis, except the difference is that it's not a sofa, it's humanity. And it's a decision that looked small but had huge consequences. But it's an awareness of Adam and Eve. They knew that what they had done was wrong. And instead of uh, confessing, they managed. And their management plan was to hide. And God, I love the story of Genesis 3 because, A, they don't go looking for God. He comes looking for them. And the, the greatest news, we'll get to that in a minute, is that God comes looking for us. God knew what they had done. He's all-knowing. God knew where they were hiding. He came right up to the tree and stood there and said, where are you guys? And they came out and uh, there was no hiding from God. And, and though there were consequences, and you'll see in a minute when we get to the closure of the story, you don't get a God who uh, punishes them. I mean, there's consequences, but there's, you sense this loving act towards humankind. And... Uh, I wrote these thoughts down under point number two. Our deepest shame grows out of our own attempt to manage our crisis. Uh, I wrote these thoughts down. Nothing leads to despair faster than seeing who we truly are. 
If we just focus on who we are, we will end up despairing. Uh, much like Pam, <laughs> there's a sense of understanding the ugliness of our sin. The ugliness of having been given everything that we need and choosing the one thing that would, was never meant to satisfy us. And there's a sobering reality in that moment of understanding, like, that's who I am. I am a person who, given to myself, will always choose against God, the very one who gave me life and who gave me every single gift in my life. Think about your life right now. Think about the things that you're struggling with and the very thing, the one or two things that you feel like you desperately need, if God could just answer those things and, and welling in you is a anger and a frustration. God, how can you not do this? And God, where are you in this? And, and you're shaking and faithlessness because you don't understand how this God could abandon you and not love you. Because if he loved you, he would give you the one thing that you want. And so you choose against him time and time again. I know I've, I've walked that path. I walk it and it's a temptation daily to re be reminded of exactly who it is that, that will truly satisfy us. And so nothing will lead us to despair if we stop there of understanding and seeing who we truly are. And nothing sends us into hiding faster than realizing what we've done. There's an awareness and awakeness that happens when we see our sin for what it is. For years, you can live in denial. I know in my own life, there's been sin habits, particularly as a Christian, besetting sins and things that I know they're wrong, but I keep going back to, to satisfy me. And, and we all have those areas in our life and, and they could be things that are G-rated to X-rated. Like there's a range of them. It's, it's not always bad and ugly, but, but, but there is a shame that happens when you realize and you don't want to admit it. And so instead of coming clean and, and, and we, we create our own sheepskin or, or goat skin or whatever it was, fig leaves that they put uh, on themselves and, and we hide and we manage and we think that nobody's ever going to find out and we're safe. And so, uh, and so we do that over and over again. And, and I, I thought about what are some ways that we hide from God? Well, well, one of them is we distract ourselves to death. Uh, we become too busy for God, and it is one way to manage Him, and we hide in our busyness. Uh, another way is just social distancing from God, physical distancing from God. We just, He's up there, and He's faithful. He's always going to save us. Once saved, always saved, but we have our life here, and, and we don't want that much closeness. And so, and so we go through seasons where we just kind of like, no intimacy with God. And you might show up. I gave a little video on it Monday or so. I talked about that. Like we can go through the motions but never connect with God. There, there's a form of distancing in which we hide from God the very things that we know we're doing and we are. Um, we deny our messes. We just we just live in denial. I didn't do anything like Adam and Eve. I'm not here. I'm, I'm under a bushel somewhere. Like, God, I'm not even hiding. And, and God's like, well, why are you hiding? And he's like, because we were naked. And, well, who told you you were naked? And there's this, there's this denial happening until God puts his finger on there. And, and of course, other times, at just some thoughts, we hide in anger. We get mad. And other times, we hide in self-pity. And we feel like, woe is me. Woe is me. That is my refrain more often than not. As it becomes all about, oh, I deserve more than I've been given because of the one thing that I thought would satisfy me that I didn't get. And the psychology of despair that grows in us because we have refused to come clean before God. You say, is there any good news here? Uh, yeah, there is. This is a lesson on faith and faithfulness and standing unshaken. And here it is leading into nothing we can do will ever hide us from God and his love for us. I mentioned that a few minutes ago and I'll repeat that. Nothing we can do will ever hide us from God and his love for us. The best news of Genesis 3 is that God showed up looking for Adam and Eve. That is, in essence, the story of Jesus. He, God became man, came to earth in order to find us. 
because he came to die. Yeah, he came to die in order to find us, in order to give us a way out. And so, and so let me give you the third big idea. So that was sort of 2C if you're keeping track. So, so our biggest crisis is born out of reaching for what was never meant to satisfy us. Our deepest shame grows out of our own attempt to manage our crisis. And number three, our greatest hope grows out of our willingness to receive God's grace in our pain. All right. Our greatest hope grows out of our willingness to receive God's grace in our pain. You say, how do we see it? Well, God's grace shows up in his presence. And, and then this, let me read um, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God, here it is, verse 21 of Genesis 3. You might want to go back later and read this. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. All right, now that's grace. Let me, let me explain to you if you've never heard this this explanation of this. So remember, they're covered. They have fig leaves over them. So in essence, they're, they're, they're covered, but their covering is not enough. Their covering is not acceptable. Their covering is not the covering that God has for them. All of us in our life are trying to manage our sin, our decisions to get satisfied outside of God. And there comes a point where we have to give up our own attempts at covering ourselves in order to receive the attempt, or the, not the attempt, the, the act of God to cover us. And this Genesis 3.21, in fact, Genesis 3.15, I, I passed over, but the first reference to Jesus Christ in the Bible is Genesis 3.15, the prediction of the coming Messiah. But then Genesis 3.21, God takes an animal. He, he got garments of skin. So he says, you don't need the leaves. We're going to kill an animal. You're going to take the skin, and we're going to cover you with skin. And here is the the first sacrifice, blood sacrifice for sin. And of course, there's a theme that will come out in scripture. You'll see it over and over again, of course, in, in, in Abraham, um, when the son, when he goes to sacrifice Isaac, there's a there's a little lamb in the thicket that comes that God provides in order to, to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. Later on, the Passover lamb. And we see this theme of the Passover lamb, the blood that had to be shed for the remission of sins. And you see it all the way from Genesis. Remember, this book is a story about Jesus Christ. And so you see that thread carry through. And so God clothes Adam and Eve. And, and now, uh, here's more grace. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so I used to be baffled by this because I was like, God, if you're love and you just close them, why are you kicking them out of Eden? And uh, uh, an explanation of this is that were Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life inadvertently, they would remain in their state of sin forever. They needed to die and be reconciled to God. And so God, out of grace, gets them out of the Garden of Eden. You can read more about that during the course of this week. There's a lot of big themes here. This is the essence, the story that sets up the stage for who we are today. This is a critical, this is why I went back to Genesis 3, because this is critical to understand scripture. This is the fall of humanity. This is why we are born in sin and need a savior because of what happened in Genesis 3. And so our greatest hope grows out of our willingness to receive God's grace in our pain. There's pain, Adam and Eve are given um, some consequences that have reverberated to 2020 to us and will continue until Jesus comes back. But they have a choice to make. They either give up their skin, their, their leaves, and receive the skin, or they say, God, we, we're good. We don't want your offering. We're, we're fine. 
And uh, by God's grace, Adam and Eve take the skin that is offered to them. And you say, how else did their life play out? I'm not going to read all of Genesis 4, but it's a tragic chapter in which the sons of Adam and Eve, uh, their names are Cain and Abel. If you know much about scripture, you know that their story was sad and Cain murders Abel and it's out of jealousy and anger. And, and, and right away in the first generation after their own sin, they see this hatred and anger and, and sin, and they lose their son. Think about it. Imagine anybody murdering in a family. One person murders the brother, and now they have to live with that, knowing they were responsible. And, 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 and then, of course, Cain goes off, and, and we hear about his family. And then we get to the end of Genesis 4. It says, and Adam knew his wife. Again, we're talking about hope here. The hope is that God showed up. The hope is that God gave them the skins. The hope is that God sends them out of Eden so that he can in turn have a relationship with them. And now in Genesis 25, and by the way, before Genesis 25, Abel knew who God was because he did offer the right offering to God. So even through Abel, we see the grace. And now Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that point, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is awesome. Just one generation in, a couple of generations, you know, Adam, Eve, their grandkids, and, and people start calling on the name of the Lord. Hope does not rest in anything that I do, but in exchanging my own skin for God's or my own self-made efforts for God's or my own leaves for God's offering. Hope for a better tomorrow gives me, a, gives me the strength to make it through today. And hope for a new beginning helps me move past my pain. Adam and Eve, you hear in those last verses that I read, there's joy in the birth of Seth. And somehow, despite all of the sin, despite all of the negativity that happened, despite the punishment, despite the guilt, despite the shame, despite they receive enough of God's grace that there's hope. And the hope is seen in that they have the son and, and Eve recognizes that God appointed for me another offspring. And this is a testament of love, of someone who understands that this God is not angry with me. He loves me and he continues to give grace. And then she teaches her kids enough that they now start calling on the name of the Lord. This is an awesome story of hope and unshaken faith, despite losing sight of all that we have. You might be right now in a place where you have lost sight of all that you have. You're so worried and focused and anxious about what you don't have, what you want, that you can't even see God's love for you. Listen, perhaps this is your invitation. God, through me, through this teaching, is inviting you back to receive his grace. Perhaps it's time for you to come out of hiding. I went on a walk today and I've been meditating on that. What does it look like in our life to come out of hiding? And I, I, I thought about the patterns in my life of hiding and Sometimes God uses people, sometimes uncomfortably. I've been in conversations. I was thinking about a conversation I had a few months ago that took me from left field. I didn't see it coming. It was someone that I didn't know that well. And, and he said something to me, and it was sort of prophetic. And I honestly, I, I didn't accept it when, when I heard it. And I thought, who does he think he is? Then I went home, and I was praying about it and thought, maybe there's truth to that statement. And, 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 and I saw in that God inviting me to come out of hiding Perhaps this crisis is your invitation to come out of hiding. Maybe there's been some things in your life that you know you've been choosing to satisfy you, and now they're not there anymore. And uh, maybe you've been laid off from a job that was everything to you. Or maybe you're in a relationship that's broken now. Uh, or, or on and on and on. I can give you a million ways to think through how 
how this could play out in your life, but, but, but I, it's, that's not my job. The Holy Spirit is already speaking to you. I know that. And so my prayer, and as we move now into time of prayer, uh, I'll ask Diana in a second if there's any questions that have come up, uh, but we're going to move into a time of prayer. And my challenge to you this week is, uh, first of all, what is it that you're looking to satisfy you and where are you getting your satisfaction met? And you need to figure that out. And uh, they could be good things. It could be ministry. It could be, I can't tell you how much time I've wasted thinking that serving God would satisfy me. When all God wants to do is be the one who satisfies you himself. And uh, by his grace, he doesn't allow us to be satisfied for, with anything less than who he is. And, and so that's a challenge. Think about what satisfies you. And another challenge, how are you hiding from God? And what will it take for you to come out of hiding? What does that look like in your life? Maybe it starts with a conversation with him. Maybe it means reaching out to someone and asking for help and prayer and, and, and saying, look, look, I, I, I don't want to hide anymore. Um, where are you is the question that God asked Adam and Eve. And it's a great question to reflect on tonight. Where are you spiritually speaking? Maybe you've never met the Lord. Maybe you just tuned in because somebody invited you and you are hiding behind a branch of a fig leaf. And what you need is the blood of Jesus covering you of all your sin. That's, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He died to give us life. He shed his blood so that we could in turn exchange our ugly sin and take his righteousness on us. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, tonight could be the night where you could confess his name and ask him to save you. I pray that that will be the night tonight. And so we'd love to pray with you, for you. You can um, leave prayer requests here publicly or if you're more private and, and just it's, we want you to come out of hiding with God, but maybe you're not ready to come out of hiding with the world. And so that's appropriate. And so we'd love to pray for you privately. You can email us, go email me. You can go to um, either my personal email, lena at livingwithpower.org. Maybe you ask Jesus into your heart and you don't know what to do next. Email me and I'll help you. Or if you go to livingwithpower.org, the contact page comes directly to me. So you can email a contact message and I will be the only one who receives it. And, uh, and so we'd love to be... Uh, we want to do life with you. I really mean that. And, and, and we're trying the best we can. We're not a lot of us, but, but we take it seriously. And this is the, the group that God has given us to be connected with right now. And so we love you so much. Well, there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed this teaching. I hope that it has blessed you. And by God's grace, I hope that it's drawn you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we will be meeting again next week. Every teaching in the Unshaken series is going to encourage you. If you're looking to get more materials or find out more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And we do all sorts of things besides discipleship and providing biblical resources for everyday life. We have a ministry to the Middle East with Syrian refugees and the Lebanese people. And we also have expanded our refugee work to the Ukrainian refugees. So we'd love to tell you more about that. Check out our global page and come back next week for more. In the meantime, know that you're loved and I'm praying for you.